This is the sound of the staff here at Focus on the Family Canada every weekday morning at 9 a.m. Petitioning God for those with crisis in their marriage, for those who want to become better parents, and those who are lifting up loved ones to the hope that one day they will know the salvation that Christ has to offer. We'd love to hear from you too. Call us today with your prayer requests at 1-800-A-FAMILY or email us at prayer at FOTF.ca. Hello, I'm John Fuller. Before we start today's broadcast, we wanted to let you know that Focus on the Family is also airing a fascinating conversation with Gary Thomas and Deborah Faleta about how to experience God's design for physical intimacy in your marriage. It's a powerful program, and we encourage you to check it out at focusonthefamily.ca. When I thought my greatest need was to be loved, a good day was when I was noticed, appreciated, cared for, and shown affection. Now, a good day, if I believe my greatest need is to learn how to love, is when I can notice, when I can show affection, when I can serve. That's Gary Thomas describing a profound change in perspective that really transformed his marriage. And today you'll hear how God wants to do the same thing for you and your spouse. This is Focus on the Family with your host, Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, when it comes right down to it, I think every husband and wife secretly wants the happily ever after part of marriage. Who doesn't? Now, we don't really believe in fairy tales, but there's this innate desire and longing, which I think is God-given, that wishes for something better and more loving and more intimate with your spouse. Admittedly, it's easy to get distracted by the busyness of life, and we can put marriage and family on autopilot and cruise along, thinking everything's okay. But as followers of Christ, we know that our marriages are meant to be a spiritual symbol of something much bigger and deeper than we can even imagine. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul calls marriage a mystery and compares it to the relationship Jesus Christ has with the church. So we really can't afford to take our marriages for granted. And the good news is that God does have something better, more loving and more intimate in mind for you and your spouse. And we're going to hear about that today from Gary Thomas. Right. Gary was our guest at a special event just a few months back where we interviewed him on the stage of our chapel before a live audience of about 40 couples who are friends of Focus on the Family. And our topic was Gary's book, A Lifelong Love, Discovering How Intimacy with God Breathes Passion into Your Marriage. Jim, here's how you began the conversation with Gary Thomas on today's episode of Focus on the Family. Okay, you've written this wonderful book, uh, A Lifelong Love, but i got to get right to it. You admitted that when you first got married, you did it for all the wrong reasons. I think I know what that means, but you said it was all selfish. It, it was. It was a shocking time of prayer for me when I was just asked, I believe by God in prayer, why did you marry your wife? And there were a lot of reasons for me to marry someone like Lisa. She had so many good qualities. I Loved the way she looked. I thought she would be a great mom. I liked the way her mind thought. Um, I knew she loved the Lord. And I was like, well, she's this, this, and this. And you know, that. you should have started with that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. But, but it hit me that in many ways, I got married to Lisa because of everything that I thought she would bring to me. I thought I would have a better life if I could get Lisa to marry me, or if I could get Lisa to marry me than someone else. And while we all kind of make those decisions, it was just shocking to realize that it was selfishness 
that was moving me into marriage when I believe God designed marriage to pull us out of our selfishness. Yeah. Um, I think that's pretty normal for most of us, though. I think that's how we start. You know, we notice somebody that we're attracted to, and then it moves from there. You used a term in your book called spider spouses. Yes, yeah. So that sounds a little creepy. Yeah, it is. (laughs) What's a spider spouse? Think about how nefarious this is. This spider constructs this web for one purpose, to catch victims and then eat them. I mean, that's, that's, that's what and it what's is. the analogy to marriage? I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry. But, but in some ways, we construct these webs. How can I look hmm. attractive? How can I do this? How can I get you to consider this? So that then I can go and you can meet all my needs and I can feed off you. Feed off your affirmation, feed off your wealth, feed off sexual interest. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons that move people to get married. And that's, it's really a, a disgusting picture. To show our selfishness for what it really is. And again, if God's agenda in marriage is to pull us out of our selfishness, whatever led us into marriage, we have to realize, okay, if I want to go God's pathway into marriage, I've got to stop being a spider spouse. I've got to look at marriage from an entirely different angle, not to be a spider but to see, be someone who blesses my yeah, spouse. Yeah, that is so good. You, you go on to say in the book about 1 Corinthians 13 that that's the marriage passage. I think many of us know that passage, but what stands out in 1 Corinthians 13 for you? Well, how so often when people come into me for counseling, they don't realize how they are directly contradicting what Paul tells us to do in 1 Corinthians 13. Love doesn't boast, and they boast about how they're the better spouse. (laughs) Love keeps no record of wrong, and the wife will say, do you realize when he was in college, he got fired from Taco Bell for this, and he got kicked (laughs) out of school for that, and he got that, okay. And if I would just read 1 Corinthians 13 right there, they go, oops, because they're coming here with all the things that their spouse doesn't do, and I'm saying, well, yeah, that's true, and you're not doing anything that Paul describes as love in 1 Corinthians 13. And that's really what we look at marriage as, is that it's not that one person is right or wrong. It's how marriage helps both of us become more right, more loving, fulfilling 1 Corinthians 13. Because I don't think that most of us get married with the agenda that God has. And if I could just add on to when I got married selfishly, the other thing I think was so wrong when I got married is I thought my greatest need was to be loved. And I believe that God would have told me, no, your need to be loved has been met perfectly in the person of Mm. Jesus. No one can love you more than I've loved you. I died for your sins. I've given you my spirit who comforts you, who convicts you. If you start to do those stupid things, makes you miserable so you turn around and come back. And so if, if you were in Christ, I don't believe your greatest need is to be loved. Your greatest need is to learn how to love. Well, that's a big paradigm shift. Oh, it was months for me. It's like one of those things God dropped in, and, and I really struggled with it for months. But then I, I put in the scripture. I don't want people just to take my experience. There are so many verses that say love extravagantly. You love you ha- the love you have for everyone should be increasing. Love even your enemies. There isn't a single verse that says... To be fulfilled, find a romantic partner who will love you like you've never been loved before. <laughs> so I think the silence of Scripture is very loud, and the overwhelming witness of Scripture is you need to learn how to love. I didn't get married for that reason, but I believe God wanted me to get married for that reason. And I grew in my appreciation and satisfaction in marriage 
when my agenda began to align with God's rather than trying to get God yeah. to give me what I thought I needed out of marriage. Well, and again, with that paradigm shift, uh, you also talk about a monk's marriage. Yeah. Now, I didn't know monks could be That's married. That's a big paradigm <laughs> shift. Yeah, that is a paradigm <laughs> shift. <laughs> Uh, so first of all, I need that definition. What did you mean by follow a monk's marriage? Well, it's a little bit of a creative thing, but I go off Psalm 146 that says, do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. So let's go back 3,000 years when that psalm was written. It doesn't sound that shocking to us now because kings are sort of figureheads. Back then, kings had un rivaled, unquestioned authority. If they said you're poor, you're going to be poor. If they said, I want your wife, they got your wife. If they said you're going to die, you died. If you go to prison, they did everything. And so when the psalmist says, don't put your trust in a king that you can see, put your trust in God who you can't, it was a shocking thing because everything within you would say, I have to have favor with the king because he can determine my life on earth. And the psalmist is saying, no, Because in the end, he doesn't determine your destiny. You have to trust in the God who you can't see. So let's apply this to marriage. We put our hope in a spouse we can see, not in the God we can't see. How I tied it in with the monk, it may be the weird way my mind works, but you guys know I like to read the Christian classics. I would read these books of monks and nuns that had very satisfying lives because they were so in love with Jesus. And I thought, well, they're happy, but they're not having all of, they don't expect a spouse to do this or a spouse to notice this or hear this or provide this or offer that. And yet they're so happy. So what if I could have this monk's attitude that I will find my fulfillment and joy and meaning and purpose and affirmation from God. And then everything my spouse gives me is extra. It's not an expectation. It's Find my satisfaction to God. And so then, instead of being frustrated that I'm not getting this because I want that and that because I want that, it's like, I have this from God and I get your smile too or your kiss too or your attaboy too. And because and, it dawned on me so often when we're dating, we have this attitude. Wow, you, you got me flowers. You got this present. You sent me a card. And then the wife says after they're married, you got me flowers again. You got me a card that you didn't even write. I mean, it, the, the thing that delights you as a boyfriend or girlfriend can frustrate you as a husband or wife. It's all because of expectations. They're, you don't expect in dating that they have to do it. Now they're a spouse and you expect them to do it. So you lose the joy. So it's really this way of saying, how do we recapture the joy in marriage? By saying, married people should be just as dependent on God for their satisfaction for their affirmation, for their hope, their joy, their peace. And then marriage is added on to it rather than try to draw the, the majority of our affirmation, satisfaction, joy, and peace from our spouse and go to church once a week and re- remember that God loves us yeah, and forgives us. I think you're saying some wonderful things here. And uh, I remember being criticized by, in a book I wrote uh, about keeping your expectations low about people that way your disappointments are pretty rare. And that's what I got criticized for. Daly's best advice is keep your expectations low. But you're saying the same thing I am, that in marriage, put your hope in God. Yeah. Put your trust in God. Now, let me just play, you know, the opposite side of this. Um, it's great. It sounds wonderful in theory to be that in love with God that all of your needs are met in your relationship with the Lord. Lisa's sitting right here. Have you been able to achieve that? <laughs> no. 
<laughs> sorry. Look, I, sorry. Hey, here's what I've realized, and maybe this is why I write about it, because you see your own weaknesses. I often tell people my marriage books are the stories of my failures and God trying to call me out of them, D- to be honest. Which helps the rest of us, by the right. way. Thank yeah. you. And obviously, we have the same critics, because I recognize <laughs> that voice. But I was reading the Philokalia. I don't, I don't know how you pronounce it. It's this Eastern Orthodox group for like 4th to 15th centuries, the great classical writings from the Eastern Orthodox Church. I, I like to read out of the tradition. And one of the things that, that keeps coming back if you read through that, I mean, it's gigantic, so you usually read sections, but is, and I love it because the East looks at things differently than the West, this lust for praise that they insist cannot be satisfied. Mm-hmm. And the lust for praise is every bit as strong as the lust for more money, materialism, gluttony. What, what they're saying is you start to give into it. If you need it, it grows. It's not satisfying. It demands more and more of you until it ruins you. And I talk in A Life on Love about acts of secret service, which, and the whole point was, how many wins I get. One, I'm able to serve my wife without her knowing it. And so I look for things to do that she'll never know about. Uh, it purifies my heart. Secondly, I believe there are heavenly rewards when we do good works out of secret. It turns my heart to think about how do I serve her instead of how am I being noticed or served. There are like five wins when you start to say, how can I be giving? I want to be the opposite of a spider spouse. I want to give, even if it's in secret, even if I'm not noticed for giving. And Jim, there's a joy from the Lord when you're loving his daughter out of love for him in a way that only he sees. And it's a whole lot more than um, you could ever expect from And we're going to unpack more of that because I love that idea that you married God's daughter, so watch out. He's your father-in-law. <laughs> but uh, I also was caught by something that you mentioned in the book where you encourage spouses to become counselors for the defense side of the uh, courtroom rather than on the prosecution side. Okay, I just got to say, we got a lot of married couples here. How many of us tend to uh, work for the prosecuting attorney at times in your marriage? Anybody want to put your hand up? Well, look, nobody, just me. I, I did. <laughs> just I did John kind of. and me. All right, okay, there's okay, three more. Okay. But how is that the case? Why do we not first go to defend our spouse rather than go to the prosecutor's bench? Well, I, I believe a lot of it comes down to remembering and living out the gospel. First John four nineteen. we love because he first loved us. And when I remember that God isn't my prosecuting attorney, that in fact he is my defense counsel, he's often defending me from me. I'm talking about myself in a way that, that injured God. He doesn't want talk me to talk about me the way I talk about me. But I, there was this story I just thought was brilliant of a woman. She was in England and she was complaining to her, the rector at the, at the church where they were at, about her husband was doing this and that and this and that. And, and he, he said, I've been listening to you for weeks, complaining about your husband. He said, I just want you to do one thing for me. I want you to go back. And I want you just to sit before the Lord and ask God why your husband might be the way he is. And she was like, oh course he's a man he's going to take the husband's side this is just ridiculous so she did and God began to speak and she went through the early years of their marriage just about how what he went through with his mom dying and the humiliation of losing his job and having to move back in with his parents and and all of these things I don't have time to go into all of them but she realized she just felt so sorry for him and she realized okay yeah sometimes 
He might be short. Sometimes he might be impatient. And she goes, but look at the pressure he was under. Look at the shame he was dealing. And that never excuses Jim. And, and I know you know this. It never excuses a husband being short or sharp or, or uh, inattentive. But sometimes I found that it's really helpful to say when we're most frustrated with what our spouse is doing, God, why is she acting this way? God, why is he acting that way? Not to excuse your spouse, but to understand your spouse. And often you'll hear that God's saying, you know what, not acting perfectly, but have you ever thought about this is the wound that they're carrying? And then we can be a part of healing not by condemning him and saying, I mean, look, prosecuting an attorney means you send your spouse to jail. You know, right? who, who wins with that? This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Do you enjoy coding elegant websites and system integrations? Would you love to use your skills and gifts to help Canadian families? Named one of the best Christian workplaces in Canada, Focus on the Family Canada is looking for a web developer to join our dynamic team in Langley, B.C. If you or someone you know feels called to serve God while growing in their skills, explore current job openings today at focusonthefamily.ca slash employment. John Avery Whitaker is an incredible guy, but have you ever wondered what makes wit, wit? Find out in the new Young Wit book series from Focus on the Family. In book number one, nine-year-old John Avery Whitaker moves to a new town, makes new friends, faces a new bully, and solves a 70-year-old mystery. Young Wit and the Trader's Treasure is available at focusonthefamily.ca. That's shop.focusonthefamily.ca. Focus on the Family Canada's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive Program is a proven program designed to save couples from the brink of divorce. For over 15 years, Hope Restored Marriage Intensives have helped more than 4,500 couples, and over 80% of those surveyed are still together two years after attending. If you or someone you know is facing a crisis in their marriage, please call Focus on the Family Canada today at 1-833-999-HOPE or visit hoperestoredcanada.ca to find out more. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. I think it was in a broadcast taping that we had done earlier that you had mentioned something like that. And I remember going home. Jean is always excited when I come home and I say, hey, you know, let's spend 10 minutes together uninterrupted. She'll say, who did you talk with today? (laughs) So I'm usually giving you a lot of credit. But this is one that I, I took away from our conversation some time ago. You know, when you're in the midst of a discussion, a yeah. heated discussion with your spouse, yeah. do you realize she's the daughter yeah. of God? It, wow, it, that changes your paradigm. It, it has been the single biggest insight that has changed the way I look at marriage mm. and try to live my marriage and the way I look at my wife. I was not being a good husband, and there are many times that that was the case. And just in prayer, applying First John 3, 1, behold, how great a love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. I claim that as a single man. That's my identity. I'm God's son. No one can take that away. And God was pointing out to me, Gary, it's also true of your wife. Lisa's my daughter. She's not just your wife. She's my daughter. And I expect you to treat her as such. And then when I had daughters, it was a whole new element. We also have a son. But I realized if you want to get on my good side, it's easy. Just be good to one of my kids. Be kind. Be loving. Be their best friend. I'll love you if you're my kid's friend. 
And if you want to get on my bad side, it's just as easy. Be mean to one of my kids, shame one of my kids, break one of my kids' heart. I mean, my, my blood pressure will go up if I even see your name because I'd rather you mess with me than one of my kids. And when I realized that's how God looks at my wife as his daughter in a holier and purer and more intense way, everything about my marriage changed. Uh, because the reality is the Bible promises us we marry somebody, James 3, 2, who stumbles in many ways. Our spouses, in a worldly sense, are not always worthy of being loved. God is always worthy of being worshipped and revered. And when I love my wife out of reverence for God because she's his daughter, there's always the reason to love her. I mean, I'll never run out of it. She's always lovable because of that. It's not the only reason I love her, but it's a motivation that goes beyond the fact that I stumble in many ways, that she stumbles in many ways. We honor the God who created us and, and we worship him through that. And so stopping to just think of God as my heavenly father and remembering that he's also my heavenly father in law <laughs> has something that has just transformed the way I look at marriage. Um, you believe every marriage should have a magnificent obsession. Yes. Mine happens to be cleaning my garage. <laughs> Is am that, I, am I obsession? The boat? Does that make Is, it magnificent? Does that fit in your definition? Well, yeah, yeah. It's my, my wife's is cleaning the kitchen. So <laughs> there we go. We, we can't leave the house if it's <laughs> not obsessively clean because we might die when we're gone and somebody might see our kitchen when we go back. I always think it's funny. Anyway, um, the magnificent obsession is, I'm, I'm stealing that phrase from a classical writer several hundred years ago to summarize Jesus's words in Matthew 6, when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That word first is very important. The word seek is very important. In Greek, it's continuous present tense. Continually keep on seeking above everything else, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And it's my belief that that is the best agenda for a lifelong love, a satisfying marriage, because it deals with the two issues that brings most marriages down. I've been dealing with marriage ministry now for decades. And two of the things that I see, the first one that brings a lot of couples down, it's not some mystical thing. It'll almost sound mundane, but the reality is couples get bored with each other. They so drift they, apart. They just drift apart. And then the kids are graduated and they don't even have that to share anymore. And so they drop the kid off at college and stop at the lawyer on the way home and say, okay, um, we're done. Seeking first the kingdom of God just points out the fact that we were made for more than marriage. That's why we get bored with each other. None of us are so fascinating that we can keep each other enthralled for five or six decades. We're just, we're just not that. Um, five or six dates you can. Five or six years is a challenge. I like that low expectation. <laughs> well, five or six de decades, it's not going to happen. But if you're seeking first the kingdom of God, what I've found... That's what gives meaning to your life. I believe God wants us to be discontent and listless if we're living a selfish life. We weren't created to live a selfish life. And living for romantic happiness is a selfish life. Living for just financial comfort is a selfish life. Living just to have even a happy family in one sense can be a selfish life. We were created to impact eternity. For God to impact eternity through us. And so... 
what I found is that it gives you a reason to pray for each other and with each other. It gives a new respect. I, I tell husbands, if there are husbands listening, how do I get my wife to be impressed by me? Here's the easiest thing to do. Offer yourself in service to God because you find out the Holy Spirit is real. And he will gift you if you make yourself available. And he will use you. And your wife will say, man, I didn't know he had that. I mean, it's just fun. And Lisa and I have even noticed this as empty nesters. Now that we've been empty nesters, we do a lot more together. And we started doing um, most of our premarital counseling together. So the first time I'm with a couple and there's this going on and I'm asking this and I'm pointing out this. You got to look at this. And we get done. Lisa's like, Wow, you're pretty good at this. And there, there was just this new appreciation or respect. But it's not me. I mean, I, it's, it's, you offer yourself to the Holy Spirit and he uses you. So I, I just say if you want to get your husband's affection or your wife's affection, just get the Holy Spirit on your side. And you get the Holy Spirit on your side by seeking first the kingdom of God, which is why I say don't worry about falling out of love. Neurochemically, that's going to happen. Worry about falling out of purpose. That's good. So the, the first part is don't worry about falling out of love. Worry about falling out of purpose. The second one is don't worry about falling out of love. Worry about falling out of repentance. Hmm. Because when I'm seeking first his righteousness, I'm becoming the kind of person a woman wants to be married to. I'm dying to the things that destroy most marriages. Anger, rage, malice, uh, lust, um, Greed, all of those things that make somebody miserable to be around. And righteousness isn't just avoiding the bad, it's building the good of Christ. I'm growing in patience and kindness and gentleness and love and understanding and humility. Those are the things that somebody wants to be around. And so by doing, seeking first his righteousness, I'm becoming the kind of person that somebody else wants to be around, which ultimately builds my marriage. And I'm just telling you as a pastor, 90% of the issues when somebody comes into my office... It's an issue of character. Somebody is acting with anger or lust or a lack of self-control or spending is out of control or whatnot. And so if we would follow the magnificent obsession, build our marriages on purpose and righteousness, we kill the two things that destroy most marriages. That's good. Some profound observations from our guest today on Focus on the Family, Gary Thomas, based on his book, A Lifelong Love, Discovering How Intimacy with God Breathes Passion into Your Marriage. I really love how Gary keeps pointing us back to the solid foundation of God's Word, because let's face it, our popular notions of love and attractiveness and passion are all self-focused. It's all about me, and in effect... We're ignoring God's plan and design for what marriage should be. As believers, we need to be mindful of this issue because we are Christ's representatives to a watching world. How you interact with and treat your spouse will determine whether or not your faith is seen as legitimate and real. And that's why I recommend Gary's book, A Lifelong Love, to you and your spouse, whether you're newlyweds or have been married for decades. This is an excellent resource that can take your relationship to the next level and help you grow in your faith as a couple. Now, I think single adults will benefit from this book as well. Order your copy from Focus on the Family Canada, and when you do, those proceeds will go right back into supporting and encouraging marriages today all across Canada. Now, I invite you to do ministry through us. Give generously to Focus Canada so that together we can respond to the tens of thousands of couples 
who will contact us for help and resources for their families. We need you, and I look forward to our ongoing partnership. Donate today and get Gary's book, A Lifelong Love, when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459, or you can stop by focusonthefamily.ca. And uh, we have a free marriage assessment to help you evaluate how the relationship with your spouse is going, and it'll identify your strengths as a couple and some areas where you may need some improvement. Again, you'll find that free assessment linked over at focusonthefamily.ca. We'll plan now to join us tomorrow for more insights and encouragement from Gary Thomas. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ.